You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Today's show is sponsored by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire, and you can try it for free by visiting ZipRecruiter.com slash break it down. Welcome to the show, everybody. I am glad to be back here. I just got done talking to by far the most entertaining and reasonable, you know, I know this is a dirty word or it sounds like boring people, but tax accountant, accounting, taxes, the worst stuff in the world. And I've struggled with this mightily. I've got lots of problems with numbers and authority and doing things that feel like homework. And of course, I hate paying money to people like the government. But I think these are common problems. And that's what makes Ed so interesting to talk to is he is very engaging and knows how to talk about something and be entertaining and, you know, entertain concepts without being too specific. All problems I have when I deal with CPAs and accountants and, as we call them, bean counters, that kind of person. So this conversation is easy to listen to, in my opinion, and I rather enjoyed it. So don't skip it just because you think we're going to be talking about taxes. This is, you know, this stuff will make sense to you a little bit more, and especially if you're a you know, kind of person has your own business or will have your own business, that probably you'll find it even more useful. But I was excited to talk to him because, man, do I have a mess in my accounting and my tax preparation, as many people do. And so he gave me some confidence to know that there's there's more things I can do and there's better ways to do it. And I don't have to beat myself up and feel so bad about being such an idiot in that regard. I enjoyed this conversation. I hope you guys will too. And if you just want to go ahead and put a, you know, put your browser on it, you can go to financialgravity.com and uh, you can see exactly what it is that Ed and his company do and how they can help you do your tax planning and strategy and get the right team in place. And I think it will help you a lot in the long run. And I hope they can help me too. But anyway, financialgravity.com is the website that you might want to check out if you're interested in this conversation. All right, let's do it. Break it down, oh, break it down. 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 Let's make Yeah! To this, uh, I've I've only been talking to you for about a minute here, but I'm it's by a long shot the most uh, the best conversation I've ever had with the, somebody in the tax prep world. Well, <laughs> I'll 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 tell you that's because I'm in more than just the tax prep world. Mm -hmm. There's a real difference between what most accountants do and what most of us take for granted. Mm -hmm taxes mean and what you really can do with it. And there is, uh, there's a, a lot of opportunity. Here's the thing. You have an impression of what people are like in the tax prep world. Mm, tax planning, I suppose I should say, even more specific. Yeah, well, and, and that's really the, the, the difference we're getting down to. When most people think of taxes, they think of filling out government forms to figure out how much you owe. And that's great. That's important and all. But Nobody really wants to know how much they have to pay. What they really want to know is how they can pay less. Right. 
That's a big difference. That's a big difference. And I start off a lot of conversations with a very simple question. Chris, when's the last time your tax guy came to you and said, here's an idea that I think will save you money? Well, and I, for I'll, I'd be happy to answer that um, as a person that's had has has and has had multiple businesses and been self-employed for, you know, be two decades here at some point. Mm -hmm. The answer to when is some a tax prep person ever asked me or come to me with an idea to save money is a, a very, very strong never. never. It's never happened once. Right. See, uh, I'm not a, one other difference is I'm not an accountant. I'm an attorney. And that's the, that's the second thing they teach us in law school is don't ask a question if you don't already know the answer. And and the answer typically is never, even for for business owners. And if you if you're a member of a masterminding group or you network with other entrepreneurs and you ask ten of them that question, I'll be surprised if more than one or two of them say the answer is yes. Accountants and tax preparers they're they're trained to record history, mm -hmm. and they do they do a very good job of recording history. And I'm not saying that recording history isn't important. It's just not what people want. But they, they can do a great job of telling you, you know, they'll put the right numbers in the right boxes on the right forms and get them filed by the right deadline. But they call it a day. Mm -hmm. There's there's very little effort and in very little uh, very little formal effort goes into saying, OK, here's how we're going to pay less. Mm -hmm. Oh, here's yes. here are ideas for you to pay less. And there's there's. There's very little opportunity to, especially during tax prep season, mm -hmm. there's, there's very little opportunity to sit down and say, okay, Mr. CPA, here's where I am now. Here's where I want to be in five years or 10 years or 15 years with my business, my employees, my family, my financial goals. How can you help me get from where I am to where I want to be with as little interference from the IRS. Mm -hmm. Because taxes are resistance. It's like a boat moving through the water. Mm -hmm. A boat, you know, a motorboat can have huge engines, but there's resistance from the water. Taxes are resistance on your finance. Taxes are resistance on the growth of your business. And you know this as an entrepreneur. You yeah, I feel like they're more like... Uh icebergs frozen all around me, the sim simple water <laughs> resistance. <laughs> well, there are icebergs as well. There are icebergs as well. And you know what? Most accountants are pretty good at helping you avoid the icebergs mm -hmm. from the IRS, but that constant low-level resistance, there are ways to get around that. There are ways to do better. And so that's the difference between tax preparation and tax planning, and it really is a big difference. It's, you know, to use a cliche, it's like the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Yeah. Well, I have, uh, I mean, I'm particularly, I'm a particularly negative person when it comes to certain jobs, occupations and things. I have these pet things that I complain about all the time, but tax preparers, accountants and CPAs are very high on my list of things that I, people that I can not communicate with. I mm -hmm. just, it's, it's, and it's so crazy because every time I'm earning a dollar, there's tax implications, and it, I'm thinking yes. about it year-round, and it, literally it feels like a permanent torture because I can't get answers from anybody. I can't get anybody to give me any good advice 
or or risk anything to try to help me. But you're right; they just record the history. I'll say, "What what if I did this? And what are you? How, is there a way that this could be, or there's whatever?" And they they won't answer, or they'll come back and say something like, "Well, there's a, you know, they they they'll just answer with some mathematical percentage." And I say, "I'll take a rough estimate. What's your best yeah. guess?" Then they'll say, "I'll get back to you in two weeks with a specific number." It'll be meaningless to me at that time. They they <laughs> won't engage with me in the conceptual, in the theoretical, in the ex- exploratory. I don't know how to talk to these people. Right. Well, there there are perceptions and there there are stereotypes and generalizations, and I think that that you have a pretty accurate uh, generalization for the industry. But there are accountants out there. There are enrolled agents out there. There are, there are people out there who do focus on the planning because even for somebody in the industry, that's the fun part. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I, you and I, as entrepreneurs, we, I, you know, I would rather drive glass rods through my eyeballs than spend all day looking over ledger sheets and counting beans and and doing that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There are people who love doing that, and thank God for them. The world needs them. I'm just I'm just glad that they're there to do that for me. But there are accountants who think more. Uh, it, when an accountant gets a chance to sit down and really do the planning, someone who's who's uh, who's good at it, that is a lot more fun than than doing the numbers. Mm-hmm. There are entrepreneurial accountants out there. One of our uh, I run a, a company called Tax Coach. It's a network of about 500 accountants across the country who focus on doing proactive planning for their clients. And one of them, a guy in Fort Worth, Texas, put it to me really beautifully one day when when we were hosting a meeting. He said, I'm not an accountant who happens to own a business. I'm a business guy who happens to be an accountant. Mm-hmm. And that really is, you know, it, it, it really just does come down to your attitude. And finding the right attitude, I think, is more important than finding the right credential. Now, a lot of people say when, when it comes to taxes, the first question is, are you a CPA? That's the wrong question to ask because we've already established that most CPAs are backward focused and recording history focused. Mm-hmm. So what's what's more important, having those three letters after your name or having a proactive approach to paying less tax and having an entrepreneurial focus? Mm-hmm. So, well, there's a lot here. Now, let me confess on my part before I go any farther that I'm sure that I'm not doing the best job of, <laughs> of helping out the accountants and the bean counters and the CPAs and most of the conversations I'm having with them that might be frustrating to them, and they probably are last minute. So let me confess before I go any farther that I may not be holding up my end of thinking ahead and, and all that stuff, too. And, and get this, too, Ed. Uh, I talk about how I can't get along with the tax prep crowd. My wife got her degree in tax preparation, by the way. <laughs> so so that's uh, that gives you a window into it. She is the type of person that I feel that I cannot communicate with. I can't even get her to help me because we get in a fight so immediately if we start talking about because she she reverts to that the behavior i'm talking about that i have such a uh-huh. hard time with and she gets mad she almost gets mad at me when i earn money because of the tax implications i'm like guess what i had well, a good month she's like great <laughs> oh <laughs> right, yeah yeah the, the heck with you yeah. well there's that and that, that's a terrific tax planning strategy too if you don't want to pay any taxes just don't make any money right, exactly so, so here's the thing i'm gonna you say that that's a failing you say you don't do as much as you can to help the accountant. I'm going to give you credit for some self-awareness because a lot of business owners 
just want to offload that to somebody else and they think that they shouldn't have to think about it. And they think, and, and here are, I'm going to give uh, my friend Sandy Botkin, uh, who is a, a tax educator, credit for coming up with this. But he says the seven most expensive words in the English language are, my accountant takes care of my taxes. I believe so, that. So it well it, yeah and it it's got to be a two-way street if you just let your accountant take care of the taxes then the accountant is going to go with the information that you give him mm-hmm. or in your wife's case you know that the, the, the client gives her and they're going to that's not enough information to do real planning with that's enough information probably to record history but if you're offloading the taxes to the accountant and letting the accountant take care of the the taxes then you're you're really losing the opportunity to work with with an accountant you know here's what i want to do here's my retirement plan you know a, a simple question do you want to stuff money from your current income into a 401k and invest in the stock market or do you want to use the growth of your business and ultimately sell your business is your business your retirement plan mm-hmm. well for some some entrepreneurs they maybe less entrepreneurial entrepreneurs, uh, they they just want to make money and they're happy sticking some of that money in some Fidelity mutual funds and retiring on mm-hmm. it. And if that's what they want, that's great. Other entrepreneurs, and I'm in this category, my retirement is my business. I'm all in. Now, that would terrify a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Exactly, I, have, yeah. I, have, I have confidence in myself and my business, right. so I'm comfortable making that decision. But those are two very different attitudes. Let me see if I can analyze that a little bit better and make, make sense out of it that way. So basically, you say you could pull out 50000 and put it into a 401k. You'd be taking that money out of your business, and you'd be expecting a certain return on that. But you feel That's confident right. that that $50,000 in your business will earn a better return under your watch and what you do with that $50,000. Perfect. Okay. Perfect. Absolutely. Which sounds like a, a guy like me, because I'm very much the same way. Um, I want that money because I'm going to go try to do something with it or build something else that will be worth more than the return I get. Now, that feels crazy because somebody said, well, you don't have a good retirement, and that's true. And I don't know if, if I cash out. I mean, it just seems logical to me moment to moment, but I'm not mm-hmm. convinced that I am doing it correctly by any stretch. I just All I have to go is moment to moment, and I've lived my life thus far without having anybody that I feel like I can talk to about it. So have I been doing it wrong in the fact that I should be paying an additional tax preparer or an attorney? Like you said that you're an attorney. What I mean, if I want to straighten my shit out, what, sh- what I mean, what should what do I need to do? Go also hire a whole other person? Because I, I feel like, gosh, it has to be worth whatever it costs. If I, you know. Oh, it is. I mean, part of the fun for me is being able to sit down with a client and say, here's my fee. It's X. And here's the benefit to you. It is a multiple of X. I had a conversation once with a a client. We sat down and in an hour, I was able to come up with a strategy to help him save a million dollars in federal income tax (laughs) in a single year. Exactly. Yeah, that of course. Yeah. And and it's funny, I have accountants say, Well, what's your hourly rate for that? Uh, this is not an hourly billing engagement. No, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, there, there, there is no fee that's that's high enough. All right, pardon the quick interruption, and we'll get right back to it. Um, listen, you guys, uh, I can only imagine, need to really pay attention to ZipRecruiter because, you know, you're listening to a, a 
podcast about tax accounting, which means you probably have a business or aspire to. And I believe you. if you don't, you will one day. And you will need to hire people. You will need the right people. Of course, you'll need a good tax strategy. And then you need the right staff. And you'll be off and rolling. You'll make a billion dollars, I bet. Anyway, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter is a company that you know, you know how companies, when they revolutionize something, that's usually a good thing. Well, ZipRecruiter revolutionized how you find your next hire. So ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. They knew there was a smarter way to do it, and they built this platform so you could find the right job candidates. Now, the idea, of course, is they're going to proactively go find and invite the correct people. And they're going to use, I imagine, you know, computers and algorithms and all this stuff they do that you don't have to worry about. And that's way better than you posting your job online somewhere and praying that the right person will see it. Here's a fact. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. So that would be a, a huge relief to know you're going to get a quality candidate probably tomorrow. By the end of day tomorrow, you, you have somebody good to look at, and you can fill that position, and you can move on. Now, ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications that you receive, so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there, and ZipRecruiter is how you find them, and this is businesses of all size. It could be your first employee or your 200th. That's the way to go. Right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free, which you certainly can't beat that. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash break it down. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash break it down. ZipRecruiter.com slash break it down. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Ideally, you find somebody who can put together a suite of services that really uh, gives you what you're looking for. So I, I mentioned uh, Tax Coach Software uh, previously. Our parent company uh, financial gravity. We do tax planning, uh, accounting, tax preparation, and financial services for business owners. Our whole premise is business owners want two things from their accountants. First, lower personal income taxes, and second, numbers that help them run their business. Right. The, the irony is most CPAs don't give their clients either of those At all. things. At right. all. But here's, here's what it – and I'm, I hope this has entertained our listeners. I'm just – personally frustrated about this it's really easy to talk about but well they, they are too they i think are they are too. too i think a lot of my listeners have you know people come to me for advice all the time and when just because i have a few different businesses and been doing it a little while and everybody mm -hmm. in, the, in the creative space that i'm in is starting their etsy store their band or their podcast or you know it's all these people that are doing their first business and they're always asking me do i need to incorporate do i need to get an llc do I, what is the difference in accrual and cash basis you know so i and I, I, I'm no expert. I fumble through it. But the, uh, the thing that – so I always tell everybody, don't, do any, don't get a business until you have to. Just keep it on your personal. You'll stay in charge of it until it grows. You'll be able to report that stuff. You'll maintain it. You'll understand it. You don't need to get too far ahead of yourself until you need to. But um, the thing is, when I'm dealing with a CPA or accountant for me, I, I'm really lost – on what it seems like they're always telling me is, well, the amount that you owe in taxes is not, there's nothing to discuss. There is no strategy. These are the numbers and this is what you owe. And when I push back on that, I get the feeling like they're implying that I'm some kind of criminal, but surely there's something in no. between. Like, I'm no. not saying, can you help me cheat? 
or or do the see if you can keep us this far out of jail. But there's got to be something in between those two. There is, there is. And I don't so want to feel we, like a bad guy because I'm trying to not pay the government all this money. I'm trying not to pay this. What can, you know? That's that's the the way it always feels to me. No, you're and Matt, you're not being a bad guy because when you keep oh, the you money, don't know that. <laughs> well, but I got to say it. I'm the guest okay. on your show. Okay. So when, but when you keep money and you reinvest it in your business, you're creating more income. You're creating greater opportunity. Mm-hmm. You've got employees, contractors, and vendors. The money, uh, the money juices the system. So no, you're not being a bad guy by keeping the money that you earn. Mm-hmm. So. Don't worry about that. When the accountant says at the end of the year, this is what the numbers are. Let's say you're new in business. You've just hey, you've just started making some good money. Uh, you've taken your advice and not set up a corporation yet. And you've you've come home and 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 you've gone to your accountant and you've said, hey, I made a hundred thousand dollars last year. And the accountant says the numbers are what they are. You don't you don't cheat. You don't break the rules to pay less. The question to the accountant is okay. I understand the numbers are what they are based on my situation. I'm single, so I have to use the single rates. I'm a sole proprietor, so I don't get any corporate tax rates, any corporate tax breaks. But what if I changed those inputs? What if instead of being a sole proprietor, I set up a limited liability company and I elected to be taxed as an S corporation and I paid myself a salary of $50,000 and took a dividend of $50,000. So let me change those circumstances. Mm -hmm. And then the accountant is going to say, oh, well, in that case, you would save about $7,500 a year in employment tax. Yes, why didn't you tell me that? (laughs) Right. That's exactly what, what I did with my last business is exactly that scenario. It's the first time I've had a few before. This one's an S-Corp. I give myself a dividend or a bonus, and I'm, I'm just saying, you didn't. Te- how did you not tell me right. this before? So, so the question, exactly, that's the question. Why do I have to bring the ideas to you? Why can't you bring these ideas to me? And when I get bigger, when I get bigger, can I use a uh, an enterprise risk management program to create a deduction for a million dollars a year and not pay tax in my business and put it into a check and not have to pay taxes on the check and use that as a supplemental retirement plan. If I'm exporting, will you come to me and will you tell me what an IC disc is and how I can use that to pay less money? And if I have real estate in my business, if I own real estate, should I put it in a separate entity? And can I use a cost segregation study to get more upfront breaks from depreciation right. than I would if I, you know, and that's, that's the key. It's, it's the, it's the attitude. It's the attitude. It's the, the proactive focus. Too many accountants, they, 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 it's like they're running their business through a rear view mirror. When you get up in the morning and you drive to work, you don't back your car out of the garage and then back it out of the driveway and drive backwards using the rear view mirror all the way to the office. Mm-hmm. But but two minutes. But tax preparation is a rear view mirror process. Yeah. Now I know you can't necessarily change everything at the last minute, but it seems like there's a lot of things that you can. But it is the. Uh, are you saying that like with your business for like for let's just say we're gonna recommend something new for me, which I need at least additional services. But are you saying that what you like to do is make a package for, how does it work in your business particularly? Do you make a package for somebody with other accountants and a strategist, or do you just do strategy on top of 
existing accounting that people have or what? What's the way to, we, to do it from scratch if you were going to build your system? Well, the, the way we do it is we start with the planning. Everything starts with a tax blueprint, which is a formal written plan. A lot of accountants think they do tax planning, and their version of tax planning is when they're sitting down with you to give your 1040 at the end of the year, and you say, what can I do to pay less? They reel off a few suggestions like buy equipment at the end of the mm -hmm. year. If you're going to buy a truck for your business, buy a truck in November. Or you know they call it yellow fever sometimes because Caterpillar equipment is yellow. Mm -hmm. Buy equipment for your business. But that's not formal tax planning. So we start with a tax blueprint, which is a formal written tax plan. And then we move on to what we call the tax operating system. And that's the tax preparation and the accounting and the payroll and all the day-to-day -day stuff that makes you and me really squicky when we think about having to deal with it. But you don't get to that point until you start with the tax plan. So mm -hmm. that's one way to do it. I think that's the best way to do it because then everything you do throughout the year as part of the tax operating system relates back to the tax blueprint. Yeah, in a strategic kind of way. And so do you think part of the problem here is, I think this is true of many industries, is the people that are attracted to the roles are of a very certain personality type, like the type of people that want to be policemen. They're a certain mm -hmm. way, or teachers, <laughs> or, or accountants, right. and they just aren't. I don't know if it's... And then there's the bias of the, the person, too. Is there something where they're just risk-averse, and you say it's part of it's the training, or are people just so are too scared of the IRS that they just don't want to touch it and they don't want to think about it, or is it just that it's complicated? I mean, what is what causes such a bad—it's just one of the areas where I'm certain the communication level and efficiency is just across the board bad because of, a, I guess, a number of biases, but yeah. Well, I, th I think— Ultimately, I think it comes down to the training. So I mentioned earlier that I'm an attorney by training, not an accountant. And when you think of an attorney, attorney is going to be more aggressive. Uh -huh. An attorney is going to push the limits. An attorney is going to look for the loopholes in the way around the law. Yeah. Accountants may or may not start out with an entrepreneurial focus. They may or may not start out with a creative focus. But when you take an accounting class, particularly true accounting, managerial accounting, financial accounting, cost accounting, the stuff that you have to study to pass the CPA exam, you are trained to make the balance sheet balance. And the numbers have to add up. And when you do double entry accounting or accruals or things like that, you get it right or you get it wrong. So mm -hmm. you're spending four or five years in school learning to make the balance sheets balance and having right or wrong answers. That really is a very different focus than tax planning, which is looking to, looking to take advantages. So let me explain to you real quickly, uh, easy analogy, how the tax code works. Because people, people think it's gobbledygook, right? Mm -hmm. you've, heard, you've heard the million monkey theorem. If you take a million monkeys and give them a million typewriters, eventually one of them is going to bang out the complete works of William Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. Well, when they're not banging out Shakespeare, they're banging out the tax code, yeah, right? Just gibberish, so, yeah. <laughs> just gibberish. So here's how, here's how you want to think of the tax code. It is a series of red lights and green lights. So section one of the tax code says, here are the tax brackets. That's a red light. You got to stop and pay tax. Section 1411 of the tax code says here's the net investment income tax of 3.8%. That's a red light. You got to stop and pay tax. Section 1432 of the tax code says here's the self employment tax. You got to stop and pay tax. So, red lights. 
But there are also green lights. Anytime the tax code says gross income does not include, that's a green light. So Section 105B says you can set up a medical expense reimbursement plan for your business, and it can pay for all the medical expenses of you, your wife, and your kids, and that's a business deduction. That's a green light. Mm-hmm. Section 170 says charitable contributions. Here's a green light. You can deduct charitable contributions. Mortgage interest. Section 162 of the tax code says your business can deduct any ordinary and necessary expense. That's a green light. So you've got a tax code that's made up of red lights and green lights. Here's the key point. Most accountants focus on the red lights. Mm -hmm. And that is important because blowing through the red lights is how you get in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. No, you don't. But what you want is somebody who's going to find the green lights for you. Mm-hmm. That's the that, key. That's and right. okay, yeah, and I'm going to and Matt, I got one more thing, and this is going to blow your mind. It's going to blow a lot of accountants' minds. Did you know that in 50 states in America, you can turn right on a red light? <laughs> there's right on red, yeah. So, so there's, even there's, a red light, there might be some way out of it. Even a red light, there might be some way out of. So if you come to me and say, hey, I'm a business owner. I love the idea of a Roth IRA. I want to put $30,000 in a Roth IRA. The typical accountant is going to say, you can't do that. The annual contribution for a Roth IRA is $5,500. That's as much as you can put in. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to say is, yeah, that's true, but... You can put $30,000 into a SEP, deduct it, immediately convert it into a Roth and pay tax on it, and you will have effectively put $30,000 in a Roth IRA. That's a right turn on red. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I mean, for sure that makes sense, the red light and green light analogy, and you're right. Nobody's thinking about the green lights. Most of them involve spending money, but that's – like if you think about mortgage interest, for instance – that should be a big part of your decision to or buy a house or not is knowing yeah, that absolutely. your tax burden. You know, here in Seattle, the taxes and the you know the real estate and this stuff is so high that the, mm-hmm. and it's almost all interest in your first years that I'm deducting you know eighteen hundred dollars a month, you know, in interest on my mortgage or something like that or more sure. than that, I think. So that's yeah, absolutely. significant off my taxable at the end of the year. You know, if everything it, else it, was a wash, it's like green light, go buy a house if you can. Well, it, it is. It's it's part of the, the costs of buying a house. And so you sit down and, you, okay, here's how much I'm going to pay for my mortgage. Here's how much I got to sock away in escrow for property taxes and insurance. And I'm going to have to cut my grass. And in the spring, I'm going to have to cut a lot of grass because it rains all spring. And it's, you know, that's your costs. But you need to understand how much the tax savings is going to be because then you can back that off of that total cost. It might cost even up. change your tax bracket for the year, just the fact that you have interest on the house now to deduct. Yeah, it, it will it will mean now you can itemize and now you can take advantage mm-hmm. of some other deductions that you couldn't take advantage of before. Until you're itemizing, you're not really getting you're, – you're not getting any – tax deduction for charitable gifts. Yeah. So, yeah, it it all it all comes into to to the mix. So, let's do some real basic stuff and and we may have lost some people, but that's totally okay. But let's do some basic stuff here and uh, and help people cuz like the most common question I do get is I think I need to have a business and then it's, do I need to incorporate LLC, sole proprietorship. S Corp. Let's just go through those real quick. What do you tell people okay. about that? They have a new business or they, let's just say they have a podcast and they're mm-hmm. going to be making hundreds of dollars, maybe a month. 
now mm -hmm. and they're like, I got to get a business. I got to do all this stuff. What, what do they do? What do you tell them? Okay. So the first question, do you need an entity? Mm -hmm. Do they need a, a business entity? What are they protecting themselves from? Mm -hmm. Taxes? You know, if they're going to start off making a few hundred bucks a month from a podcast or if they're going to be an affiliate marketer or something, there's not going to be a huge tax benefit in setting up an entity. Legally, and this is a lawyer question, are you in a business where you can create some legal jeopardy for yourself? Mm -hmm. Are you going to be giving advice on the podcast? Are you going to be giving really bad advice on the podcast that leads listeners to make really expensive mistakes? If that's the case, then you probably should have some kind of an entity. <laughs> but <laughs> Funny strategy for a podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, controversy is yeah. good, right? Yeah. And and any anything to get listeners. So as your business gets a little bigger, typically the first step up the entity ladder is a limited liability company. Mm -hmm. And a limited liability company in most states, and, and again, this is a state-by-state -state analysis, and I'm not giving legal advice in whatever state you're listening to this, but a limited liability company is typically easier to manage and maintain than a corporation. You don't have to have an annual shareholders meeting or a board of directors or, or nearly as much in corporate formalities. The limited liability company is also attractive because you can elect however you want to be taxed. So if you're, if you're a one-person business, you're a one-owner business, a limited liability company, the default is we're going to ignore it for tax purposes, and you'll just file a Schedule C on your personal tax return as the sole proprietor. And entrepreneurs may have, you know, I, I've seen entrepreneurs with half a dozen Schedule Cs on their tax returns mm -hmm. because they look at any hobby or any opportunity and they turn it into a business. That's just what they do. Right. It's a sickness. Stop me before <laughs> I start another business right. again, right? Yeah. So that's the default. But as that business gets bigger, you can change how the LLC is taxed. So if you get to that point where you're making sixty or eighty or a hundred thousand dollars a year and the self-employment tax is getting to be a bear, you can make the election to change the LLC from an LLC taxed as a proprietorship to an LLC taxed as an S corporation. Mm -hmm. You have the greatest level of flexibility there. Now, again, that depends that that's a state by state analysis. You're in Seattle. You've got a lot of people in Seattle who fled California because of the high taxes. And in California, LLCs have a special state level tax that can be a real bear. In California, a lot of people will organize a limited partnership to get around that particular state level tax. But but yeah, the, the first step up the, the ladder for a new business owner is a is a limited liability company. Once you get up to a high enough income level, typically somewhere between sixty and a hundred thousand dollars, an S corporation starts to make sense. Of the of the different entity types, the S corporation is typically the best choice for earning a significant income. So I'm uh, I'm lost right there, and this is exactly speaking to oh, me. Oh, see, now. we want that. We want that. We want to keep Good. you lost. Well, but I, but this is real specific to me because I have one company that's an S corp, and I haven't run the numbers the opposite way or whatever. I was like, well, I better try that one on this new company, and and it, to me, it seems better. I don't think from that one I had sixty or a hundred thousand, probably thirty or forty thousand on that. But it seems to me when I'm making that dividend or bonus, I'm avoiding self. You're, right, you're, avoiding, you're avoiding employment tax, and right. that's that's the so main So why is that goal. not better all the way down? Like, why does that get better at sixty to a hundred thousand versus? It, why isn't that just the better way to do small companies? Is what it seems like to well, me. Well, 
because you, you still have to pay yourself a reasonable compensation for the work you do. Mm -hmm. It would be very easy to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rig the system. I'm going to make $100,000. And if I did that as a sole proprietor, I would owe $15,000 in self-employment tax. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do an S-corp, and I'm going to pay myself a $1 salary. Mm -hmm. And avoid self-employment tax on all the rest. And bonus myself well, the rest, yeah. Uh, well, dividend, dividend yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the, the problem is when the IRS looks at an S corporation, the first thing they say is, Matt, you're you're the manager of this company, and you got to pay yourself a reasonable compensation. If you hired somebody else to do the work that you do managing this business, would they accept a one dollar salary? Mm -hmm. And common sense says no, they wouldn't. So you have to you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. And there's a little more expense in having an S corporation. There's a little extra tax preparation fee. You've got to do payroll, payroll for yeah. the salary. So the savings have to be enough to justify those additional expenses. Okay. And that's why I say typically in the in the sixty to hundred thousand dollars. And it depends on how many employees you have and what what an issue it, payroll is and things like that. Ab absolutely, absolutely, and and we work with a we work with a third party software vendor that has a wonderful program that you can basically describe your job to the software, and it will spit out a, a, a I think a four page written report that says here is reasonable compensation, and if you ever get audited by the IRS, you show the auditor here's what I did yeah. to establish my reasonable compensation, and you're in great shape. While we're talking about audits, can you tell me how common are audits? What triggers them? How can I avoid one? I've never had one. I feel very fortunate, or maybe it's just that. Ah, there's don't worry about you know is it. What's the likelihood of getting audited and what increases that likelihood? Uh, the likelihood of getting audited, it depends on how your business is organized and what kind of business you're in. So if you're running a sole proprietorship and you're earning over a couple hundred thousand, if you're grossing over a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in a sole proprietorship, that's the highest audit risk. That's, that might be around 3% per year. But it also depends on what kind of business you're in. If you're running a pizza joint or a bar or a cash business, where you've got opportunities to, mm -hmm. to literally skim the cash off the top, those entities have the highest audit rates. Mm -hmm. if, you're in a, if you're in a business you know, with an internet marketing business where everything comes in on credit card receipts and the IRS gets a 1099 from your merchant account provider that shows how much you've grossed, that the, the credit card company just did a lot of the work for the IRS to establish mm -hmm. how much you make. Now, here's a neat trick that you'll like with the S corporation. I told you the audit rate for a Schedule C grossing over a couple hundred thousand is about 3% per year. Mm -hmm. The audit rate for an S corporation is 0.4% per year. So simply by making that one move, by changing your LLC to an S-Corp or by setting up an entity as an S-Corp, you have eliminated almost 90% of your audit risk with that why, one. Why aren't they interested in, in that then? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you. It's, oh. it's probably because somebody who is running a business as an S-Corp has some adult supervision looking at the books and records. Yeah. Most people who run an S-Corp or, or fewer people who run an S-Corp are actually doing the books and records themselves. And most business owners, a lot of business owners start out saying, you know what, I'm going to do my own books on QuickBooks and I'm right. going to do my own taxes on TurboTax to save money. Mm -hmm. That may make sense for the newest, smallest business. But if you're making real money, if you're making six figures a year, if you've shown that you've got the entrepreneurial chops to make that much money, 
why are you wasting your time saving money on an account? The opportunity cost of doing your own books and fighting with QuickBooks is is way greater than whatever you're going to save. My largest business is a is a limited liability partnership. It's a rock band that I've been doing for 15 mm-hmm. years, and um, it's just a regular LLC. I, I, as far as I, I, I don't know if it's partnership. I guess it's LLC partnership. Is that right? Yeah, it, right. It, yeah, it can be an LLC taxed as a partnership, and that's mid six figures as far as the total gross income. But we've never had any trouble with the IRS on that. What's the uh, what? How what would be the likelihood on that? On on a like that's not sold. That's not three percent. That's less still. Minuscule, right? minuscule. Okay. Minuscule, and you should never be afraid to take a legitimate deduction. Good. Even if you even if you do get audited, what that means is you sit down with somebody at the IRS and they say, "I'm looking at your tax return. I want to." I want to. They call it an examination. Mm-hmm. You know, we want we want you to show show the books and records, show the receipts. We want you to show that everything is legitimate. You probably don't know this, but about fifteen percent of all tax audits actually result in a refund. <laughs> no, I didn't. You discover during the audit that you've missed something, mm-hmm. and and you know why that is? It's because you do a certain level of homework when you prepare your taxes. But if you get audited by the IRS, you're going to say, oh, shit, you I really need to figure out everything. Yeah, oh I gosh. need to get everything. And, and yeah, so an audit, you know, people say that a root canal is the worst thing to go through. I had a root canal once. It wasn't fun, but in four hours <laughs> it was over. Yeah. Yeah, and you, there's there's a ton of tax planning that you can do. You got a rock band, so there's a there's a famous rock band. You've heard of the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. That's a business. I mean, Ron Woods, guitarist for the Rolling Stones, was not an owner for years. He was just an employee, and I think uh, I don't remember which of the ones were were the owners, but. They got in trouble with their taxes in the 1960s and 1970s. You've heard of the band Exile on Main Street. They recorded that when they were tax exiles in France. They had to leave Britain because of the taxes. They were living in the south of France. That's where Exile on Main Street comes from is the tax exile. Wow. So what did you say a second ago about don't be afraid to take a what? Dedu- never, ne- never. A legitimate deduction. Okay. Never so be afraid. So give us an example of that. So a lot of people think that the home office deduction is a red flag. And a lot of accountants, uh, not so many accountants, but reporters, if you read a book on or if you read an article in Money Magazine on taxes for for small business owners, it's going to say, be careful before you take a home office deduction. That's a red flag. That's something that that an uninformed reporter would say, but it's not something that most tax professionals would say. And if you run into an accountant who says, oh, I don't like taking the home office deduction because it's an audit red flag, ask the guy. How many of your clients have ever, well, actually, he's probably a bad guy to ask because he doesn't take the deduction. You know, ask accountants. How many of you have ever been uh, audited for a home office? That's the punchline of the joke there is they say, Never, because I've never allowed anybody right. to take so, office. Well, <laughs> and, and, and the other question to ask is, okay, that's that's great. You're afraid of the home office deduction. Whose money are you leaving on the table? That's right. That's that's the whole the incentive problem with all that is is they just need to be safe. I need to be aggressive. Right. Uh, you know. Well, it, you don't even need to be aggressive. You just need to know what you can do. So taking a home office, if you really do have a qualifying home office, you're not being aggressive. Mm-hmm. Take a couple of pictures of the office so that if you get audited two years later, you can show a snapshot to the auditor and say, see, this is what my home office looks like. And, you know, be able to justify the expenses. But you're not being aggressive. IRS publication 
587 has the rules for using an office in your home. And about five years ago, they came up with what they call the simplified method for calculating home office expenses. Well, if it's audit bait, why is the IRS offering you an easier way to take the deduction? Mm -hmm. It's not. Yeah. It's not audit bait. Well, so is there something, is there such thing as being aggressive or is it just doing it right? I, I mean, do you lean away from that that thing of being, uh, of even of even acknowledging that you're yeah, yeah. Is there such thing as being aggressive with your strategy yeah, there, or there, deductions? Okay, so so there is such a thing as being aggressive. So I, I mentioned earlier when I was talking red lights and green lights, code section 162 is the key to business deductions. A business can deduct ordinary and necessary business expenses. And so the question is, is it ordinary and necessary? Is it reasonable? That's the tax lawyer's favorite word. More lawyers have billed more hours arguing over the meaning of the word reasonable than anything else. And that's why tax lawyers drive Jaguars. So you've got a deduction for meals, business meals. Uh, and if you take, if, if you and the band are on the road, if you're in Portland and you grab dinner before a show, you can deduct that because you're traveling away from home for business. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how much money can you deduct? What is reasonable? I wrote a column a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jay-Z was in Manhattan. He took the manager of Rock Nation Sports, one of his employees, out to dinner in Manhattan. And they ended up at a nightclub, and he spent uh, $83,000 <laughs> on champagne. Yeah, yeah, now, yeah. now Jay-Z lives life a little larger than yeah. you and me. Sounds reasonable but, for him. <laughs> but, and, and, and for him, it might be reasonable yeah. for the IRS. Is that reasonable? Probably not. So that's where, that's where the, the discussion really comes in. Is it reasonable? So I would think it's an aggressive move to deduct $83,000 for the champagne. Mm -hmm. Now, he spent $1,200 at a restaurant before, or maybe it was $10,000. I don't know. With Jay-Z, 1000 here, 1000 there. Who cares when, when you're at that level? So, uh, but, but there's, there's, there's a line between reasonable and extravagant. And the IRS says you can't deduct expenses that are lavish or extravagant. I have some people, they'll tell me, oh, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're on TV and you need to look good for TV, mm -hmm. then you can deduct the cost of your clothing and your makeup and all that kind of stuff. Well, there was a tax court case for a Columbus, Ohio TV newscaster where she tried to do all of that, and the IRS said, no, you can't do that. It's suitable for ordinary street wear, and if you were walking down the street wearing the same clothes, nobody would look twice at you. Sorry, no deduction. So there are there are places where it would be aggressive. I, I thought that, yeah, well, I do that. I deduct my clothing. If I, buy, if I go to Nordstrom and buy some clothes that I use for you know, if I say, yeah, I think I'll wear this on stage when I'm out performing on tour or on if I'm doing a video, you know, stuff like that, I deduct that currently. Is okay. That well, I'm, I'm going to say I hope nobody from the IRS is watching this podcast because they would say no. There's a pretty well-established rule that uniforms and work clothes are deductible mm -hmm. unless they are suitable for ordinary streetwear. So if I wore, if I dressed like Elton John on stage, I could probably deduct that. You could dress, yeah, Right. That's not suitable for ordinary streetwear. But if you go and you say, hey, this is a really nice Hugo Boss blazer for $600, mm -hmm. and I'm going to wear it on stage, no, that's that's not going to fly. Okay, so that would be in the category of trying to get by with something or being aggressive. I don't find that, that to be, be criminal because it seems reasonable to me 
Um, and how about this? Worst case scenario. Oh, and actually, I, let me let me let me respond to that specifically. Mm -hmm. I told you there was a, a tax court case where the TV anchor in Columbus deducted those expenses. Nobody ever thought that it was criminal. Nobody right. ever thought, oh, we're going to throw her in jail for this. Right. You've got and, and if you're worried about the IRS opens about 3000 criminal prosecutions a year. That's it. Out of 100 million tax returns, they get 3,000 criminal prosecutions a year. You've really got to be sure. a bad guy yeah. to go to jail for the but IRS. I think most people don't think that way. They think they're coming to get me. If I get audited, I'm going to jail or I'm going to owe. Yeah. But there, there yeah. are real financial penalties to it. So there's some – I mean this isn't a good word. Aggressive is probably not a great word to use, and gamble is probably not a great word to use. But if you're assessing risk and reward, we I call imagine – We call it audit roulette. Okay, right. But I'm just imagining if yeah. I get audited and they come back and then we're having to split hairs and then we talk about the T-shirts that I bought that I wear on stage that are black V-necks. Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Okay, I got I got that one wrong. What now my tax return is going to be amended by a ta you know, $80 right. in taxable income plus fees. That's okay, right. I'll roll so, the dice on that. That's what that, I don't that, I'm not that doesn't sound that crazy to me. No, Especially I, given I, a point four risk of audit in the first place, right? Well, I certainly can't tell you to roll the dice. <laughs> I got it. I, it would not be ethical of me to tell you to roll the dice, but plenty of people make that decisions. And you're an entrepreneur. Part of what you do is you accept risk in your life. Mm -hmm. You're willing to give up the steady paycheck because you'd rather do a podcast and have a rack full of guitars behind you than be sitting at a cubicle working for the man. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's that's it's simply the trade-off you take as an entrepreneur. And if the audit comes, it, it but you as you alluded to there, it's it is significantly worse than the root canal, though. Well, if you get a refund, no, it's not. Yeah. But I, it's not. I've heard different stories of that. But you're terrified of them, and the i the IRS loves when people are. I mean, honestly, the IRS does not have the budget, particularly in this era of you know, Capitol mm -hmm. Hill and all the political infighting and stuff, Congress is not giving the IRS the budget they need to enforce the tax laws. So they've got to find another way to enforce it. And from the IRS perspective, if people are afraid of being audited and that fear of audit causes them to be more honest than they otherwise would, I think the IRS is going to say, you know what, that's not a problem and the country gets the money it needs and, and that's fine. We can't examine everybody. Yeah, that that is definitely a helpful perspective to just even think of it from that. It's not, I don't know. And you know what? I will say, I don't like the IRS. I don't like the tax system in a general way. But I have had been able to get them on the phone, demonstrate to them something, uh, even ask for leniency or for them to remove a fee, and they have. I mean, I've actually found them to be somewhat reasonable. Mm -hmm. it was something I called on the last day. It was like $700. And I was like, is there any way you can help me on this? And they, they took it off and said, this is your first time, and you made a mistake, and that's no yeah. problem. And yep. I, I, was, I, was, I was amazed at that. They do that a lot with businesses. If you uh, Payroll taxes are a pain in the ass. No two ways around it. And there's no such thing as payroll tax planning. You either, you either get it right or you screw it up. Mm -hmm. But for businesses, if you miss a payroll tax deposit, if you're late on a payroll tax return or something, they will waive the first penalty. And that's because they understand it's it's a, a tough system. The IRS, in a lot of cases, they don't make the rules. They're enforcing what Congress mm -hmm. tells them 
the tax law is. And people who work for the IRS, they are they are government bureaucrats. They're doing a really tough job with not enough money to do it, and the public really doesn't like them. Mm-hmm. You know, the the, the the folks at the IRS, uh, they're they're not out to get you. They're not evil. Somebody's got to collect the government to to collect the money to make the government run. You run a business, your business gets big enough, you've got an accounts receivable department that makes sure you get paid. Right. That's what that's what the IRS is. They're they're not the Gestapo. They're not jackbooted thugs. They're not. Uh, they're not any of those things. They are. They are hardworking public servants doing a job that gets very little That's appreciation. That's a great perspective too. And if you don't like it, complain about your congressman, right? Complain to your congressman, right. not the and IRS you know agents. Yeah. You know what? You're you're probably going to have better luck getting through to the IRS than you do to your congressman. <laughs> well, what? Speaking of the congressman and all that. Do you think that the reporting and the uh, perception of the new tax update has been accurate or not? I sense that people love to say it's bad, but most of the feedback I've heard from almost everybody is it seems like it's not been near as bad as people want to make it out to be, at least. The real the real issue is is whether it helps you or whether it doesn't help you, and most people are going to be helped mm-hmm. up front. Maybe not as much as they want. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not as much as they think. So you can say, you know, supporters of the tax bill will say the average American is going to get a four thousand dollar a year raise. Well, average covers a whole lot of territory. Yeah. So the two of us are on this podcast. If Bill Gates joins us on this podcast, then the average person on this podcast is a billionaire. Right. That's great for Bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't doesn't do much for Matt and Ed. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, there there's a lot there's there's a lot of noise in the news about changes and the IRS changing the withholding and that kind of stuff. Give it a few months to settle down, and people will see: Are we really getting more money in our paycheck? Are we not? Is it going to be much money? And then next April fifteenth, when we file our taxes, did we get it right or did we get it wrong? Yeah. Uh, I've seen more people that seems like it's helping than I think people want to believe because they want to be negative about it. But I'm not so sure. But I'll reserve judgment until another April, too. Um, do you think there's any potential of any real change ever happening? Like, you know, occasionally you hear people talk about doing something drastic or a libertarian idea or something or moving to some other whole like, system. Do you think there's yeah, ever like, a chance like- of doing that? Like getting rid of the income tax entirely and replacing it with a sales tax? Yeah, with that, all the way dead to universal basic income, to nobody below 50000 pays taxes. Are any of those types of things even really possible, do you think? Well, it, nobody below 50000 pays taxes. I mean, with, with child tax credits and mm-hmm. things like that, we're moving in that direction anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, universal basic income— that, Now, by the way, I, most people don't believe what you just said, though. The, the common understanding no, I, is all the poor people pay all the taxes and rich people don't pay any. Well, that's they what don't, everybody always thinks. Well, they don't pay federal income taxes. Mm-hmm. They may pay state taxes, they pay social security taxes, they pay sales taxes, that kind of stuff. So I, I gotta I gotta take take my tax nerd hat off and and put my real person hat on. But in terms of will anything dramatic happen with taxes? Will we replace the entire tax system? I think that's about as likely as monkeys flying out my butt, honestly, because I don't, (laughs) you know, if that's going to happen, it's because two thirds of the House of Representatives, meaning a majority of Republicans and Democrats in both the House and the Senate and the Republican think that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. 
And the system just doesn't move that fast. Here's the thing about the tax code. The goal of the tax code is to raise money for the government. But once Congress realized that they could use the levers of the tax code to influence us indirectly in ways they can't influence us directly, they thought, hey, this is kind of fun. So Congress mm -hmm. wants to encourage home ownership. They're not yeah, going yeah. – so, so they give an indirect subsidy. So you buy a house and you're writing off $1,800 a month in mortgage interest now because you're getting this great subsidy. They enjoy so, pulling the levers and getting to guide our behavior. They, they, enjoy, they enjoy pulling the levers. And so, for example, if we move to a true flat tax that you could fill out on a postcard, that would mean giving up the power to move those levers. Mm -hmm. I honestly don't see Congress choosing to do that. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a, a good way to look at that. Who do you think is the most unfairly taxed group? Oh, human thoughts? beings. Human beings. Human but, beings. But, you human know, beings. is it rich people? Is it small business owners? Like, you know, people like, I mean, everybody probably feels that they're getting screwed the most, I guess. But is, yeah, is I there mean, a, it, a place where the people's like, man, that's really tough? Because you always hear the big companies, uh, Amazon, they say, aren't paying taxes this year, which mm -hmm. makes people well, outrageous. But that's because they reinvested billions uh, I mean, of dollars. Yeah, but. Ab absolutely. Amazon chose not to make profit year after year after year. Mm -hmm. They reinvested all of that money into the business. And, and I think they're a textbook example of why you want to reinvest your money in the business instead of paying taxes. Because right now, I believe as of today, maybe it's Apple, but Amazon is the most valuable corporation in the world. Mm -hmm. They didn't get there by showing big profits, distributing the money to the shareholders and paying it in taxes. They got there by continuously continually reinvesting everything. So asking who is the most unfairly taxed group, that really is a very political question. Mm -hmm. So somebody who is a traditional Republican who thinks that that high income earners should be taxed lower so that they can reinvest all of their earnings in the economy, that person is going to say, oh, you know what, 37% top tax rate, yeah, it's lower than it was a year ago, but it's still way higher than the average American family. Mm -hmm. And if you're asking somebody who is a traditional you know, West Coast Seattle liberal, they're going to say, wait a minute, why is Bill Gates only paying 37% tax on his income and I'm paying 25% tax on mine? Bill Gates can afford it more, so he should be paying a higher tax level. And that's that's what the whole process comes down to. You know, that's that's looking under the hood and and seeing how the laws get made and seeing ultimately it's Congress who makes those laws. And in the in the case of the 2017 tax law, it really was Congress. The presidency, uh, you know, I don't want to say the T word or get into a political debate, but he really was pretty hands off. He decided to let Congress do what they were going to do, and then he would come swooping in at the last minute and he would take credit mm -hmm. for the biggest, most beautiful, gilded tax credit in the history of planetary economics. <laughs> so Congress makes those decisions, and Congress decides who's going to who's going to pay the pay the burden for that. And ultimately, yeah, like you said earlier, our answer is we call our congressman. We don't call the IRS. Mm -hmm. Is there a number at all or a range that you think people should shoot for? And I know I know it's super broad, but you know, is there a by the time you take your total gross income and then you're taxable and your effective tax rate, is there a number that that you find to be good and bad, a percentage number, you know, for 
Like uh, if you let's just say you're in the tax bracket where you make a hundred thousand, what should what do you think is reasonable for somebody to be shooting for of, of effective taxes there? Like, you know, it's it's probably if if they're grossing a hundred thousand, if they're taking home a hundred thousand, but they've got a mortgage and family and stuff like that, they're probably going to be somewhere in the fifteen to twenty percent rate. If they're self-employed, they'll pay more because of self-employment tax. The thing is. There, there is, there's, there's no right answer. There's no right answer. I'm going to say, as a, as a taxpayer, as somebody who's, who's running, even if the, even if the only economic unit that you're in charge of is your family, and you've got a salary or two families, your goal should be to make as much money as possible, if that is your goal of maximizing your income, and then figure out the most tax efficient way to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you're an entrepreneur. Your goal is to grow your businesses. Your goal is is to make money. Then you want to figure out the most tax efficient way to do it. But if I say, you know, here here's here's the best strategy to minimize taxes, if that gets in the way of you making money, then you right. lose. Right. You lose. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, you could give away fifty thousand in charitable and lower your deduction, right? You lower yeah, your, absolutely. The lower your bracket, your tax but it, you don't have the money, you know. Right. But but then you don't have the money. So tax yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people bad tax planning, and there is such a thing as bad tax planning. Bad tax planning is when you put minimizing your income above other strategies. So I I did some work uh, for a client. He ran a janitorial service in West Virginia, and he had gone to this outfit, and they had put together a really nice tax plan for him. They charged him $10,000. This thing was beautiful. It was an inch and a half thick. It was printed on gray linen paper. It weighed three and a half pounds. I went on the post. (laughs) I was just amazed at it. It was a brick. So the guy's making $200,000 a year, and it tells him set up a 419A plan, which is a, which used to be a way that you could pay for life insurance with pre-tax dollars, and hire your children and have them put their salaries into a 401K, and set up a C-corporation and leave the first $50,000 of profit in the C-corporation. It was a beautiful, yeah. beautiful plan, and, and it would save him $52,000 in taxes. And he told me, well, my first thought was, I only paid $48,000 in taxes. So how can I save 52? But by the time you walk through all those recommendations, like put money in a 401k, put money into a 419a, leave money in a C corporation, mm-hmm. what's what's he going to live on? Yeah. By was, the time yeah. he's by the time he's done with his tax plan, he's living in a trailer and he's eating beans out of a can. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, because there's a lot of places you could put your money, but it's deferred or locked up or goes to. It's so, locked you know, up. Yeah. Yeah, it's locked up, and you can't use the money. You know, if you've got kids, I've got kids in school. I've got two kids in college next year. <laughs> yeah. You know exactly where all my money is going, and it's not in a tax deferred retirement plan. Yeah. I need to, I need yeah, to have cash flow to pay to pay for the kids. But that would work. That's where the rich people get all the advantages, which they deserve. I mean, you know, I'm not knocking on that, but if you if you have enough income or value or money that you're not living at on the 140,000 you're making if that's just your portfolio or your accrual on one of your businesses or whatever then yeah that's good you could put all that a bunch of other places you know so right. if you if you 
if all you have is capital gains and you live off of that, good for you, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. And and a good tax planner is going to sit down and look at the sources of income mm -hmm. because there there are some strategies that I would use for you as a guy who's actively running businesses. There's a different set of strategies that I would use for somebody who's living off of capital gains. Yeah. When it comes time for me to sell my business, then I've got different strategies that I can use. You know, I, I work with business, you know, a business owner can come to me and say, I've worked 40 years, I've got this, you know, trucking business or plumbing supply business, I'm looking to sell it for $10 million, and I'm going to get hit with a two and a half million dollar tax bill, what can I do? And I'm going to say, here are a set of strategies that I'm going to use that I'm going to recommend with you. And maybe, maybe there's a pooled income fund or a charitable remainder trust or a monetized installment sale or a structured sale. That's a different set of strategies than if you come to me and say, Hey, you know, our, our, my, the band is on fire and I made a million dollars this year. I'm going to have a different set of strategies right. for you because your income is coming from a different source. There's, yeah. there's not a one size fits all. Yeah. Like if you're an NFL player, you need to be putting as much of that money in deferred places as possible. You're going to make a ton of money for the next few years and then you're not making right. anymore. more. So, right. Yeah. Then you're going to get a concussion yeah. and it's going to be all downhill from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So a lot of this makes sense and it's real helpful. And uh, I appreciate your time today, but let's say, let's uh, go a little bit farther with your business and what would be the, uh, tell me how it works. Like what, what should I do next through your business or what would you recommend somebody else do? What's the, what's so, the plugs? So, what's the steps here? Okay. Well, the, and the, I do the need some help are... for real. I actually need to make some changes and I, I need some help. So. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that after the podcast, mm -hmm. but the plug is you go to a website this awesome place called the interweb. So you go to financialgravity.com and you look for a free tax analysis, which is where we sit down and look at your tax return. Okay, so it's kind of like going to a doctor. When you go to the doctor, three things happen. The doctor's gonna diagnose what's wrong with you. You know, do you have a stomach ache or do you have contagious death cancer, whatever it is. Diagnosis is the first step, prescribe, so doctor's going to either send you to the pharmacy or send you to a specialist or physical therapist or whatever. And then third, somebody's going to fill the prescription. Mm -hmm. So you go to financial gravity, and the first step is the free tax assessment, and that is the diagnosis. We find the mistakes and missed opportunities that are costing you taxes that you don't have to pay. The second step is the tax blueprint. That is the prescription. So for your business, you should do X, Y, Z. For your portfolio, you should do A, B, C. You should hire your kids to work for your business, blah, blah, blah. That is the prescription. And then finally, the tax operating system, that is filling the prescription. And we can do all three steps, but there are different people who can do all do do the various steps. If you want to work with a, uh, you know, with one of our advisor members, you know, I can point you to a CPA in the Seattle area mm -hmm. who can can work with you and do it all local. So different comments. So I don't have to fire Re Reva over here does our accounting, which I'd I'd be happy to do in a second if you just give me. The hi, hi Reva. I'd be You're I'd be glad to to get rid of her in a heartbeat if I could save a, a buck. But uh, hey, if I don't hey, have to, then fair enough. As long as she's learning from the uh, from the conversation, <laughs> I think her job is safe. Okay, good, good. Well, I appreciate it very much, and um, I will be in touch with you. I'll, I'll talk to you off air here, and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll do some more stuff. But I hope people found this conversation interesting. I, I really do. I'm not looking forward to going through documents and filling out stuff, but talking about it in a conceptual Nobody. way I find really interesting. Yeah. No, nobody likes going through the paperwork. Mm -hmm. That's what the bean counters are for. But the planning is so important yeah. and it really can be so valuable. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate it.
Thanks so much. I've enjoyed it. Right on. Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.